This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, The Rock and Stealth dropped to 0-2 after Week 2 losses. Zach Greer is healthy and back with the Colorado Mammoth as they get set to host the Georgia Swarm in the Twitter Game of the Week. And sad news across the lacrosse world is Canadian icon and lacrosse legend Dave Huntley passed away on Monday. All that and more on OTCB. Happy holidays, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Plenty to get to this week. It was a quiet week, too, with just two games. Calgary beating Vancouver by three, and Saskatchewan just absolutely rolling the Toronto Rock as The Rock opened at the ACC in front of a crowd of less than 10,000. Three games this week in a Christmas Eve Eve battles. Buffalo at Rochester, New England at Saskatchewan, Georgia at Colorado, as mentioned off the top. That is the National Lacrosse League Twitter Game of the Week. Myself, Jamie Shuchuk, and John Glant will have the call. That goes 9 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. in Denver, 6 p.m. Out on the West Coast, we'll talk with Zach Greer of the Mammoth, who was just recently added to the active roster. He missed game one. He'll be back, though, which makes that offense a little scarier. But there's going to have to be a decision made in which way the group goes. We'll talk with Dean French, uh, director for Team Canada, about the... Shocking, saddening, crushing news that Dave Huntley had passed away Monday in Florida while he was running a youth camp. It's more of a high school camp, but uh, a camp for kids down in Florida. Um, The news came across uh, social media Monday, and it took the world by storm. And... It was weird to sit and think of not just the memories of Dave Huntley, uh, everything he accomplished, and and looking at the loads and loads and loads of heartfelt condolences from players, coaches, um, teams, former players, Hall of Famers, all of these condolences being sent out through the social media ways, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, And it's just in my, you know, for me, it's sad that this won't get much news outside of the lacrosse world. Because Dave Huntley did so much for the game. And we'll let you hear the thoughts of Zach Greer and Dean French in a little bit. But one of the most indelible marks that Hunt's made was making everybody feel like he was or they were part of his family. Go through the number of tweets that former players and people that played against him or were coached against said about him and that he would always take time to talk to players, coaches, and fans, always willing to lend a hand, help out in any way possible. And always asked about your family, how your parents were doing, how your brother was doing. He knew the ins and outs of his players' lives. And he was always concerned and always wanted to do what he could to make everyone else's lives easier just by being there for them. He is the only member of the Canadian national team to have been a player coach and director only person to be a part of all three championships for Canada at the world field lacrosse championships Um, he is a hall of famer in both the Canadian lacrosse association and U.S. lacrosse hall of fame he has a lacrosse resume 
that matches any of the legends of this sport as a player and a coach. But his involvement as a coach will probably be his legacy. He will be greatly missed. He will be forever loved. And the lacrosse world will continue to share his passion, his energy, and his story as we continue to help take this game to new heights and the next generation of player. Really, there will be fingerprints of Dave Huntley on a generation of players to come. We'll miss you, Hunts. Thank you for everything. I was able to catch up with Dave Huntley's longtime friend, running mate, and Canadian right-hand man, Dean French. You could tell that Dean, like all of us, had had a rough day. And it just didn't seem like it was real. But he was gracious enough to give us a few minutes to chat about Dave. And the first question I asked him was what were his thoughts and feelings the moment that he heard the news? I, I was devastated. You know, Dave was, uh, Dave Huntley was, you know, I've said this before to some other media sources. He, he was truly the heart and soul of, of Team Canada lacrosse. And we just had our heart, uh, our, our heart taken out. I mean, just uh, upside down. I mean, I just got off the phone with his, uh, with his son, Kevin, who had a storied career himself at Hopkins and, and, and played for us in, in 2010. And, in Manchester, the silver medal team that Chris Anderson was on and mm -hmm. Dave coached. And um, uh, we're all, um, our hearts, our hearts go out to the, to the Huntley family, to, to Kevin, his mother, you know, his mother, Nancy's sister, Michelle right now. Are, are there, there easy words to describe Dave Huntley? Um, he's a man that stories will go on forever, but what's the best way to describe Dave Huntley as a man? Well, Dave was a force of, of, of nature. He was, first of all, as a man, he, he, he was a better, he was a better man than he was a lacrosse mind and a lacrosse leader. And that, and that says a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. you, as one of the guys said to me today, you never finished up a phone call or an interaction with Dave Huntley and, and not felt better about yourself or about lacrosse. I mean, he was, um, his, his, his legacy will go on and on. Here's a guy that, uh, you know, is the only Canadian to have played, coached, and led managed our three gold medal teams, 78 mm -hmm. Manchester, 2006, as you know, London, and then most recently in, 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 in Denver. And, uh, I mean, there is a reason for that. And uh, his emotional intelligence, his ability with people, unbelievable. His knowledge of lacrosse, unbelievable. But his, his motivation to actually grow the game. And it wasn't just – he didn't, didn't worry about, you know, 23 elite players. It was all about how can – we were all about – how could we use Team Canada and all our five teams to inspire Canadians to grow lacrosse? He was uh, he was one of a kind, perhaps perhaps the most influential person ever in Canadian lacrosse in in, in my mind, and and that's and that's being said with some really good company. Absolutely. Uh, when I was speaking with the Black Sportsnet people today, I I said you know he was uh, a guy that personified you know being a father figure and and Les Bartley was a guy that has created a new regime of coaches in the National Cross League where almost everybody in the league coaching right now played for or was coached by or played with Les. I think we're going to see that generation of people come through of people that were coached by or coached with uh, Dave Huntley. He was a tremendous father figure to everybody that put on the jersey but anybody that he gave time to. Absolutely. And, you know, his, and his philosophy, although, you know, he, he left, I'm in Toronto, he, he played it for Rexdale and although he left Rexdale many, many years ago, he never lost his respect and love for box lacrosse. I mean, yeah, I coached 
recently for the Wings, as you know. And But that was really, really important for him, that as a nation, we never lost sight of the fact that not only did it, did it really help us on the skill set, which is quite obvious when, when to people, but more importantly, one of the things I learned from Dave Huntley was the character that Canadian hockey and Canadian lacrosse developed. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, you can be a young lacrosse player growing up in, in, in where his son Kevin grew up in, in Baltimore, and you can play an entire career as a starting attackman from junior high school all the way to college and not really come off the floor as a field lacrosse player, if you understand where I'm going. Yeah. But as a hockey as a hockey player or as a box lacrosse player, you, you're, you're on that ice or you're on that floor. You're up, you're down. And there are times in the game when you can't be on the floor, where you need to depend on your teammates. And that, that developed a Canadian culture, a team-first culture, that really was, became our secret sauce. And, you know, what everybody talked about Canadian hands and box lacrosse and everything else, all true. Dave would agree. But the one thing that Dave really provided clarity to me on was the Canadian character, that I'm going to put the team first. And then to develop that, the leadership model that we brought through in all five national teams was a servant leadership model where where Dave actually, his job was to serve our head coach, Randy Mearns. That was his, that was his job. Randy was mm-hmm. to serve the assistant coaches, and everybody served the players. My job as chairman of Team Canada quite frankly, was to serve Dave as our, as our field across director. And that model is easier said than done, but what it develops is trust, and you don't win world championships in our game without trust. You have to trust that the coach is making the right decision and that the guys in the room have your back. And there was nobody that understood the team first, the whole we over, over me more than Dave Hunt. And there are a lot of countries and nations that we compete against that are still sort of figuring that out, but Dave had some real special clarity on that. Is it a, a, a silver lining? I don't want to say silver lining, but is it um, a nice resting point to know that uh, in his last moments he was with a group of young kids that he was trying to, you know, help better and help further in their lacrosse career down in Florida? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I no, no question. I, I, I spoke with with a couple of guys that were with him that day with him at the time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was doing everything he wanted to do that day. Hunts was talking lacrosse. He was actually – he was actually had a stick in his hand. Yeah. And he was playing some box lacrosse. Like, he might not have been running around, but he was out there. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, he, and he was doing what he loved to do. And, uh, and he was out there with a mixture of, of ironically, of, uh, of, of Canadian lacrosse players, uh, a lot of American lacrosse players, and, and some Native – uh, Canadian Native American players, like a, a mixed match. There were mm-hmm. girl, there was young girls out on the floor. There was a mixture of people just playing for the love of the game, and, and that helps. Uh, that helps a little bit. It's it's sort of it's sort of bittersweet because at the same time, um, and I haven't spoken to any other media sources about this, but at the same time, a guy that had done so much for lacrosse. Um, let's face it. There's been some stress that he was under that we're all mm-hmm. been under since since we took a stand with our October 22nd letter to the CLA board. And, 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 and I got to tell you that, that, I mean, that was not a letter of resignation. That was, as you know, and you've been clear about that, that was actually, let's get these three things in order for our players, for our game by March 31st. Yeah. So it was a little disingenuous for people to say that, that, uh, that he had resigned. He didn't resign. He was, he was actually, we actually took the best mind in lacrosse before the 2018 championships and and the uh, the CLA board decided that that um, that they would take him out at that time, and it was it was just it was just disappointing to me. Uh, yeah, doing what what he was what he was uh, meant to be doing, playing lacrosse and being involved. But he also passed away at a time knowing that the governing body of the sport that he had given so much to had had taken him out, had had removed yeah. him from his position as men's field director. What do you think um, at the end of the day is is Hunts's long-standing memory oh you know <laughs> there's i mean he was such a i mean he was never a trophy or medal guy like he really yeah. he really believed our championships were the byproduct of just doing the right doing the right thing and what i meant by right thing was putting our players first i mean that's easy that's easy to say i run a player-centered program i mean but it's easier said than done yeah. i i think that you know i mean i i look back and i I mean, if you ever can, 
talked to some of the guys that were with the Toronto on a humorous side, just on a more lighter note, you know, some of the guys that were with him when he uh, was with the Toronto nationals and he decided Mm -hmm. during a, during a promotion where they had a a sort of Toronto nationals field lacrosse player of the day, who was a very young, young, youngster that was sort of out there for the national anthem and on the warm up. when Dave decided that, maybe things weren't going so great and the game was out of hand and decided to replace, I think it was John Grant Jr. <laughs> with this, with this kid that went on the field with, with Toronto nationals equipment yeah. and thinking that, Oh, well, he'll get the last minute of play on the, on the field. And all of a sudden the ball transitioned back to the end of the field where the kid was. And long story short, the commissioner, you know, of, uh, of the field across, you know, doing his job kind of, put Dave on the mat, Matt for yeah. Dave didn't deny it. Dave was like, Hey, uh, Hey, it's all me. And long story short, the, the mother of the kid called the, you know, the MLL commissioner to say, are you kidding? My, my kid had the best day of his life. Thanks to Dave Huntley. You know? yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of a, that's sort of a lighter, a, a lighter moment. I mean, and you know what? I mean, he was so good with, 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 he was so good at making you laugh. Like we're, we're laughing now. That's, that's, that, that was so much part of it. But God, he was passionate about our, our our great game, and and I I really think that he was a body, a wealth of information, and and you know being involved with the programs from 1978 when he was part of that so-called Canadian invasion, where only you know seven or eight guys were actually playing college lacrosse, and yeah. and and being involved pretty much with every single national team, all the way up to to before he was removed by the CLA. I mean, un- unbelievable legacy there, and touched so many lives, like just so, so highly regarded by, by so many people. I mean, I, uh, I, I count him as one of my best friends and, and uh, it's, it's, it's been a tough, tough uh, 24 hours. That's for sure. You know, the road was paved by Dave Huntley and others to the United States to create better Canadian lacrosse players. And the latest generation all have Dave Huntley to thank. Uh, it's, as you said, a, a very tough 24 hours. Dean, I appreciate your time. All the best to the family over the holidays. And uh, let's catch up in the new year, and we can talk some CLA in a more happy enough. Absolutely. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all your listeners and to yourself and to your family. And, and thanks for everything you do to help us grow this game. I, I really appreciate it. That was Dean French, longtime friend of Dave Huntley, who taken from us far too soon, passed away in Florida on Monday, was working with a group of kids, was playing some box lacrosse out in the sunshine, went to take a break, grabbed some water, sat down on the bench. And unfortunately, we don't really know exactly what happened next. But that was it. And everyone is still in shock. And everyone is saddened by the loss of Dave Huntley. It is going to be a a tough world championships next year without him there. But as we have learned in the lacrosse world, that when the family loses a member, we become that much closer, that much tighter, and that much stronger. And the medicine game was given to the people of this earth by the creator. And it was given to heal when the tribe was sad, when people were hurt, and people were sick and sad. And there is nothing we can do that would make hunts happier than to get out, get your stick, work both hands, And play the game that he gave his whole life to. I'm sure there will be moments of silence in arenas across the National Lacrosse League this weekend in honoring Dave. I'm sure you'll hear many stories as the days go on. But we will definitely miss Dave Huntley. And it's a very tough time. One player who Dave Huntley had a big impact on their lives growing up was Zach Greer. Greer spent his time, much of his time, at Duke University. And so he played against the Hopkins teams that Dave Huntley cheered on and supported. 
but he was also there for Team Canada, both at the U19 level and the senior team. And Zach, who has relocated from the West Coast down into Texas uh, for work, is looking forward to getting back on the floor with his Colorado teammates. Took the week off to get healthy. Missed the first week of games. Was back with the club last weekend and for camp and for practices over the weekend. And now the Mammoth gets set to take on the Swarm Saturday night inside the Pepsi Center. And it'll be good to see number 88 working the floor on the lefty side with Banesh and Eli and Wardle. And I know he's excited to get back out there as well. So I was able to catch up with Zach earlier on Tuesday. And I asked him how excited he was to be able to get back on the floor, get back to a little bit of normalcy of life, of, of traveling with the fellas, and get back into Denver. Yeah, no, I can't wait to get there, obviously. It's, uh, it's tough watching from home, but uh, nice that the boys were able to get the big first one in Vancouver and then obviously looking to continue that momentum into the home opener. Uh, obviously a good crowd, and uh, we love playing at home in front of those fans in that building. So looking forward to it for sure. It's never easy starting a season late, and, and we see it with, with players in other sports who sit out training camps and maybe get off to a slow start. Uh, are you ready to go for, for game one, or do you think there might be a little bit of rust in the stick? Yeah, no, probably a combination of both. There's going to be a little bit of rust for sure, but uh, I'm in pretty good shape and I'm healthy. And, uh, you know, hopefully get in there and the momentum takes over, the adrenaline starts rushing, and, uh, you know, we should be okay. But, uh, you know, that's why it's a team game. And uh, it'll take some time to build some chemistry. we got a couple new faces off the front end door there. And uh, But, uh, no, looking forward to it. Obviously, I've uh, been doing my part at home to stay in shape, and as we all do. You know, in this league, or a lot of us do, not not playing in uh, in our home cities necessarily. Got to kind of take care of ourselves on our own during the week. So uh, I think I've done that and uh, looking forward to get out there on Saturday for sure. What did you like about the team's performance against Vancouver, a, a team that they struggled with against last year uh, during the regular season, but had, had a really good showing in that first game? Yeah, absolutely. And we did. I think we struggled to score goals against them last year. And uh, it was nice to get a few, obviously, uh, I think, you know, 14 or whatever it ended up being. But uh, nice to be able to put the ball in the net. And obviously, again, a couple new faces. So the, the offense started to click a little bit later in the game, a little bit slow early. But I think we scored goals in a, in a lot of different ways. And obviously, we know having Wardo and Ned and uh, great core defenders in front of them, um, you know, gives us the ability to kind of you know, take a few more risks on offense and hopefully, uh, you know, the chemistry comes quickly. But we did a lot of things well, I think. Uh, a lot of areas to improve, but in terms of a first game with some new faces, we're pretty happy about it. You talk about new faces, and it's one thing to, to lose players to trade like you did with Callum Crawford and, and Alex Bouquet, but to lose two core guys like um, Dan Hold or Dan, uh, Dan Coates, the captain, and Cam Holding, uh, just an all-everything guy in the back end, how tough is a loss to lose guys to injury? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, I mean, there's two two guys you'd never want to take out of your lineup, both kind of at the same time is a tough one for us. But, uh, you know, that's sports, right? And uh, a little bit of adversity we're going to have to face and other guys are going to have to step up. So, you know, we're not we're not really talking about that because, uh, you know, unfortunately they're not with us. But, you know, we got to play the cards we're dealt at this point and uh, we're focusing on, on what's at hand and, and making sure, you know, young guys who are stepping in are getting better and learning from the, the vets we do have back there and obviously our great coaching staff and that sort of thing. So, uh, we're, you know, we, we had our, our time to kind of, uh, I don't want to say sulk, but obviously, you know, guys were pretty upset about losing mm-hmm. those two, but now it's time to time to move on and, and play the game with who we got and, uh, and again, build the chemistry back there and communication and, and help support the, the guys who need to step up. You get the Georgia Swarm this week, and they're coming off an, an opening weekend loss. The defending champs come to town. Uh, a team you guys had two really good games with last year. What do you expect uh, from this contest Saturday night? Yeah, we expect a great game, no question. I think teams are always motivated after coming off a loss. And, uh, and you know, us coming off a win, we, we can't get complacent. So uh, we're expecting a, a battle. Again, I think we split, you know, one and one last year. And uh, they're the defending champs. So they still, you know, they're still holding the crown. And uh, we got to go in and take it from them. So uh, expect a good game. Um, you know, obviously, they're a very, very talented team on the offensive end. they got a lot of athletes on the back end and a great goalie. So uh, it's going to be a good one. It was an energetic week, and it's going to be an energetic week leading up to that home opener. You guys are going to get in Friday and have camp and 
and get yourself sorted. But how heavy are a lot of the hearts going to be in that locker room with everyone uh, that's been so close to Dave Huntley and what he meant to this game? Yeah, man, just such such tough news. Uh, he's a guy that has you know, done so much for the sport, but I think, you know, more than anything, done done so much for individuals within the sport. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a guy that everybody knows and loves and, um, you know, you see on, on Twitter just the amount of people talking about him and the, the relationships that he's built and the friendships. And uh, it's it's tough to put into words kind of what he meant to the lacrosse community and the, the individuals within it. Um, just a, a mentor and an ambassador and, and just a guy who, who truly cared about the people he met and associated with. And uh, it's, man, it's a, it's a tough one. You obviously feel for his family and close friends and lacrosse community, uh, you know, has, has heavy hearts this week for sure. Do you remember the first time you met Hunt? Yeah, I do. Uh, under-19 uh, Team Canada tryouts uh, back in Oshawa. Uh, and yeah. Kevin was there trying out. We were the same age, played against each other for four years when he was at Hopkins and, you know, on national teams after that. And, you know, Hunt, uh, you know, just this, the biggest thing that he, he was just so – such a friendly guy and he, he went out of his way to look out for me and my family and the way he treated my mom and sister and um you know just just a, a real personable guy and would go out of his way to make you feel welcome and um you know he, he really had a big part in introducing me to the field lacrosse game and, and making sure i was kind of taken care of through that process so i got a lot of gratitude towards him and uh you know a lot of fond memories zach it's, it's a it's a tough day for everybody uh, and tough news that we all heard and kind of came out of nowhere. But uh, as we've always known, lacrosse world rallies together in times like this. And I know everyone will be supporting everybody throughout the days. Uh, I appreciate your time. It's heavy hearts for a lot of people. But uh, lacrosse world is, is a sport that brings us all together and happiness. So um, all the best to you and your family over the holidays. And I'm sure we'll see you Saturday night uh, for the opening game for the Mammoth at home. Yeah, you bet, bud. Thanks for the time. Looking forward to it. That's Zach Greer of the Colorado Mammoth. To make room for Greerzo, uh, Colorado GM Dan Carey moved Quinn McKay from the active roster to the practice player list. They also activated Tim Edwards from the practice roster. Um, no other major moves of note other than on the 14th, just five days ago, the New England Black Wolves surprised nobody. By signing Sean Evans to a three-year deal, which will keep him in the casino until through 2020. I think they're going to be pretty happy with Little Levy in their roster for the time being. He is a perennial MVP, a guaranteed 100-point guy. And will go down eventually as one of the greatest to ever play. And he'll go to a rank... This weekend, where last year he scored an overtime winner as the Black Wolves take on the rush at Saskatel Center. Saskatchewan will have their home opener. Rochester takes on Buffalo also on the 23rd. Interesting little nugget from that game is that Billy D. Smith and Mark Stainhouse will play the first game against each other. The brothers-in-law spent their careers together in Buffalo. BDS, now a member of the Nighthawks. So maybe there'll be a few chops. It's their first pro game against each other. They've had some summer league games against each other back in the day. So that's always fun, especially the Buffalo-Rochester rivalry. That game's in Rochester, so you know Banditland is going to come down I-90 prepared and ready to go. That is, you know, if there's not like a lake effect blizzard going through like we saw at the Buffalo Bills game the other weekend. That was nuts. But that's upstate New York for you, man. Spent far too many years in that area and have experienced that lake effect and how quickly it can come and how devastating it can be. So if you are traveling down I-90 this weekend, just be careful. If you're heading to Saskatchewan, Get there early because it's always a good time at Sastel, Black Wolves, Rush, and then, of course, Georgia at Colorado as the Mammoth will have their home opener 
As mentioned, the Twitter game of the week, you can catch it 9 p.m. Eastern, twitter.com, NLL TV. And then it'll be delayed on Altitude TV until Sunday, I believe. So a little Christmas Eve fun for those folks down in Denver. But let's focus on the on the two games that were last weekend. And we're going to start in Toronto where the Rush absolutely laid a beating to the Rock. There were people who were worried that Saskatchewan might have a slow start because they didn't play week one. I wasn't believing that hype at all because, A, it's a Derek Keenan coach team, and, B, it's one week. Like, that's not going to throw this team off much at all. So for people to think they might have a bit of a slow start, eh-eh, wasn't happening. Ben McIntosh, a buck 15 on the power play, and the rush were rolling. Curtis Knight, 10 seconds later, it's quickly 2-0. But Adam Jones in his second game with his team, first at home in the ACC, quickly responds with his first of the night. Then Tom Schreiber got his first of the night, and it was quickly 2-2. But Saskatchewan would score two goals in a minute 20 or so after the Tom Schreiber tire to go up. Hickey with a power play goal, and then Dinsdale late with the extra tacker gave Saskatchewan a 5-3 lead, and they would never give it up. And Toronto was never really back in the game. Nick Rose was pulled just after 22 and a half minutes. Nine goals against on 24 shots. Brandon Miller came in and gave up eight on 33. While at the other end, Evan Kirk, in his first game as a member of the rush, was fantastic. And when I spoke with Derek Keenan during the offseason after he made the trade for Kirk that sent Bold and LaFontaine to New England, he said that he had more confidence because he just liked Evan Kirk's game. He felt that Aaron Bold uh, was off frequent to give up five-hole goals or bad goals, and he didn't think that Evan Kirk had that M.O. He just felt that Evan Kirk was a more solid goaltender. And in that game the other night, Evan Kirk was the more solid of the goaltenders in that game. Because Aaron Bold, in his first game, was very good too. And so this weekend, the matchmakers were really kind to us. They give us Saskatchewan and New England. Bold and Kirk. Who's going to come out on top? That is going to be an incredible storyline in that game. And you know Aaron Bold is going to come out with a purpose and an incredible focus. And you know that Evan Kirk is just going to be like, cool, man, let's go play some lacrosse and just do his thing, get between the pipes and make some saves. I love the fact that this game is happening so early. Because that's what you want to see. When two top-level players get traded for each other, you want to see them play each other early on. It's unfortunate that, you know, Kirk and Bold won't really see each other on the floor. They might wave to each other down the opposite ends, and the odd time they cross back and forth during TV timeouts. But imagine if it was like they were players and they could, you know, get some aggression out, chop here, chop there. I always like those things. But nonetheless, Kirk versus Bold, Saturday, at SaskTel. You know who also didn't look out of place in a Saskatchewan Rush jersey? Jeff Shatler. Led the team in scoring in their first game. Two goals, six assists for an eight-point night. Ho-hum, no big deal. Ryan Keenan had a goal and six assists. Ben McIntosh had six points. Robert Church had six points. Curtis Knight, Mark Matthews had five. Dinsdale had four. An incredible amount of talent out the front door. That is their entire offense with no less than four points. That, my friends, is a scary, scary group of forwards. Then you add in their transition game, which chipped in another Three goals, four goals. The rush are going to be scary. 
And I had a conversation with Joe Keegan from College Cross and Moneyball Lax just about uh, the way the Rush play. And he and I have been having conversations about breaking down film and, and looking at different styles of defenses and, th- and analytics and things like that. But we were talking about the up-tempo style of play that the Rush play and why other teams don't do that. And essentially what he's talking about is the fact that when you watch the Rush D, they never truly just kind of sit back and play inside the house. As soon as the other team has the ball, they pressure like madmen. And they are always keeping offenses on their heels. Instead of allowing offenses to run at them, they are running at the offense. And when you do that, what it does is it throws offenses off. Just like, you know, when a team goes six and five, six on five and all of a sudden uh, a D guy jumps out and shuts somebody off, if the team's not ready for that shutoff, it can throw their whole playoff. And so when offenses come out with a mindset of, okay, we're going to go and do this, and the rush defense doesn't allow them to do it, it really puts them on the back foot and doesn't allow, won't allow teams to get settled. And they push them further and further to the outside, making it harder to get inside shots on the goaltender. Now, of course, other teams have their own style of defense that work for them. And the Colorado system is different than the Saskatchewan system. That's different than the Toronto system. That's different from the Georgia system and all over. Every coach teaches a different system. But the reason Saskatchewan's work so well for them and how they play it is because they have the athletes in place to do that. They have defenders, big, tall, mobile, physical defenders that can cover a lot of floor. They have small, rangy D guys that can push the tempo and pressure guys out of the position they want to be in. It's a very integral defense that's very fun to watch if you can watch from a sort of equal perspective and just sit back. And watch. That's why I have always loved watching games from high above because you can watch how systems play and you can watch how defenses work and who's talking and who's not. And the way the rush are playing, or at least they played last weekend, and the defense that Jimmy Quinlan and Derek Keenan have employed is very tough to beat. Because you're always having to move your feet, which is great for enough offense, but if you're not able to get to the middle and get open, it's just really easy for goaltenders to just see the ball, make good saves, and transition the other way. Don't worry. There's going to be a team that's going to break that rush defense down, and there's going to be a team that comes out with a game plan that makes that rush defense not look like a rush defense. It could be New England this weekend. They made a Georgia defense a few weeks ago look subpar. So when you're watching games, don't just watch the ball. I've said this a bunch of times. If you can, watch off ball. You're going to see the ball movement out of the corner of your eye, but watch what happens off ball. Watch how defenses play. Watch if guys are shuffling off or they're playing tight on hands. If they're closing gaps, if they're communicating through picks. Because you'll notice a lot more things that go on, the little nuances of the game, when you watch off ball. And it's, you'll see some pretty good things out there. You'll see guys, you know, getting away with stick holds. You'll see guys slipping through picks and getting wide open. Whereas if you're watching the ball, you don't see those sort of things. So lots of things to watch when you're watching lacrosse game, not just the guys who have the ball in their stick. The other game uh, that went on this past weekend um, was the Vancouver-Calgary game. And it was, as I expected, a high-scoring shootout, 15-12 to in favor of the Roughnecks, who got their first win. The Stealth, much like the Rock, dropped to 0-2. Jamie Batley, again, not happy with his offense, and understandably so. In two games, Reese Dutch and Corey Small have one goal. That, not acceptable. And you can simply look at the fact that 
where those shots are coming from, from Small and Dutch, aren't in close. Many are from the outside, off the back foot. Reese Dutch's one goal he scored was a jump shot that he took around a screen, but I think he took that shot three times earlier in the game. Corey Small is one of the best natural shooters in the game, but when his really only move to make is to come high side on a pick because teams know that that's where he wants to go, if they can shut him down then not allow him to roll off, you take him out of his comfort zone and he doesn't have anything to shoot at. Now, what that does, because defenses are keying so highly on Dutch and Small, that leaves room for other guys to make an impact. guy like Joel McCready loves to get to the front of the net, done it his whole life, continues to do it, and will need to continue to do it because he's one of a few guys on the stealth offense that gets to the middle of the floor. And then there's Logan Schuss, who has one of the most effective shots going right now because he rarely looks at the net when he's shooting from the outside. He often looks like he's passing across the floor and will pull it back short side, or he's going to pass it down low and then he's going to take a shot. It really throws goaltenders off. But he has the ability and the strength and the footwork because he's been working very hard off the floor to get faster feet and to get a stronger power forward presence. And what it's allowing him to do is to be able to bull rush guys and get underneath and score goals like he did in Calgary. Uh, here's Schuss now cutting to the net, scores. Oh, Logan Schuss with his fifth of the night. And it's a pretty one, 14 to 10. That's the kind of start they needed in the fourth quarter. The Stealth would outscore the Roughnecks 3-1 in the fourth quarter, but the damage was already done. And the damage that was done was by two guys. And not just all done by two guys, but Curtis Dixon and Zach Courier were all over the place. And Dixon didn't have his greatest game to start the year in Rochester. But Zach Courier has been two for two so far this year. And I don't want to forget saying how great of a start Riley Lowen has had and how great of a start that Holden Katoni has had. But this team is going to revolve around a few guys over the course of the next few years. And Dixon and Courier are going to be those two guys. And the two of the goals that they scored are going to be typical goals these guys, guys score over the course of their career. Dixon... A shorthanded marker. Now Dixon, always dangerous for a shorty. Takes a shot, scores! Curtis Dixon with the shorthanded goal, make it 7-4. to four. Curtis Dixon pretty much beat four defenders on his own on that play. At least got passed by two, stuck inside another one and fired that shot. Short side pass, Brody McDonald, who had come in relief of Ty Belanger, who was pulled for the second straight game and just doesn't seem to have it right now. But he wasn't getting much help, and Brody McDonald didn't get a lot of help. But it also doesn't help when you have young punks like Zach Courier dunking on your brain and sending the Saddle Dome into a jaw-dropped frenzy. Double digits after just six goals in the entire game a week ago. There's a stuff attempt, scores! Welcome to Calgary, Zach Courier, as the rookie, with a beautiful effort, makes it 11-8. That is most likely going to be your versus winner this week on NLL.com. But what made it such a good goal, and Stephen Stamp broke it down a little bit in his musings on Inside the Cross, was the angle that he takes off from. He actually takes off from goal line extended, as it were, and dove diagonally through the crease and was able to backhand dunk it around the shoulder of Brody McDonald, which makes the goal even better. And it reminds me of when, I don't know if it was Mikey Powell, might have been Chaz Woodson, 
or maybe even Kyle Harrison in the National Lacrosse League, heck, might even Casey Powell, when they started modifying the air gate and dunking it around the far side pipe. And I don't think a lot of guys are going to start to do this. It might be a Zach Courier thing. Because as he said, it's not something you practice because it hurts when you fall. And I quote. But because of the angle that he takes, you have to travel a far distance, not only to make that shot, but to not hit the goalie with your stick, to not land in the crease, and to make sure it goes in. A lot went into scoring that goal, and Zach Courier flew like an eagle, and it was glorious. And the Roughnecks were able to hold on for their first win of the year. They're now 1-1. One and one. Stealth, as mentioned, dropped to 0-2. Russian Mammoth sit atop the West at 1-1. One one. The Mammoth, again, home opener this weekend. I'm going to keep saying it because I'm excited. They'll take on the Georgia Swarm at home. The other two games, New England at Saskatchewan, Buffalo at Rochester. Saskatchewan and Colorado getting their home openers out of the way, which will mean that the Georgia Swarm will be the last team to open the season, and they will do it on December 30th when the Rochester Nighthawks come to town. They'll take on the Swarm of the Infinite Energy Center, 7.05 Eastern Time, and that will be it. Then we'll have a look at all the teams opening attendance. And after six teams have done it, only one team has broken the 10,000 mark. And that was the Buffalo Bandits on opening weekend when they beat up on the Rock. Calgary was close. They were 300 off. But as mentioned earlier, Toronto, I said below 10. It's actually below 9. 8,624 they had for their home opener. New England, two weeks ago, 54.89. Rochester, 45.96. And Vancouver, 32.01. I'm interested to see the numbers in both Saskatchewan and Colorado. Because as we've, you know, the trend we're seeing over these first few weeks is games before Christmas aren't exactly a big draw for some fans. Um, people are saying that the lead-up wasn't enough to let them know that the season's starting weeks earlier. And even more so, that these games this weekend are two days before Christmas. Now, I know the league can't do, you know, they have to use dates that they can. And they're trying to lengthen the schedule because they want to start booking the dates and having the season be long enough because once more teams come in, the season's going to have to be extended. But it's unfortunate that at the start of the year, numbers aren't as high as most would like to see. You would expect Saskatchewan to be over 10K just based on their season ticket holder numbers. But again, with it being Christmas weekend... It may not be the case. You'd expect Colorado to be a 14 on opening day, maybe a 12. Again, Christmas weekend, we'll have to see. But it's going to have to take time for this new start to get running. And, yeah, by the time we get into January, we're probably going to see Attendance numbers rise as people get into the new year and the regular swing of attending games. So maybe next year, when games start at the start of December, people will know and crowd numbers will be bigger. So don't put a lot of weight into these early numbers. But if the, these numbers continue in the new year, then we can start to have a discussion about attendance woes. but we won't concern ourselves with that right now. Before we get out of here, uh, your scoring leaders after two weeks. Logan Schuss leads the way with 10.7 goals, three assists, followed by Adam Jones and Sean Evans on nine. Ryan Banesh, Banesh and Jeff Shatler on eight, then a handful at seven and beyond. Your top goaltenders, Matt Vince, 0.87 
save percentage and a flat 6.0 goals against average, followed by Dylan Ward, Alex Bouquet, and Evan Kurtz. Your rookie leaders, Josh Burns, still only played one game. Goal and four assists. Ryan Lee, two and two. That's pretty much how the rookies are faring. Uh, I'm excited about this rookie crop, actually. Um, A lot of athletes in the group. Uh, A lot of two-way transition guys. A lot of guys that are going to be playing high minutes in different positions this year. And I think that is the way the game is going. You allow your veterans to still be your leaders on offense or defense. If you bring in these young guys with speed, footwork, athletic ability, let them run the two-way game, especially if they're maybe a midi in college, but, you know, or maybe a a more offensive-minded or a defensive-minded guy uh, in box lacrosse. If you get a guy that plays two ways in field, put him in the indoor game. Watch him him mature and grow. Think Dane Smith. Think Mitch Jones. Perfect examples of using young players' natural athletic ability at the start of their career. Let them get their feet wet. Let them progress in the pro game. And then in a couple years, once they've weathered the storm and they see what it takes to compete and be a high-level pro, Then you get to move them to their main area of focus. Loved seeing all the Colorado Mammoth on the ice at the Colorado Avalanche game uh, in their fantastic ugly sweaters. The boys seem to have a good time last week. I'm excited to catch up with them this weekend in Denver. It is the Christmas weekend. We're going to end this show and let you enjoy your holidays. Even in times of sadness and in loss, the lacrosse world bands together, fights together, and stands tall together. And even though we lost one of the greatest lacrosse minds and people of our generation in this sport, we will all stand tall together. Thank you for everything again, Dave. We will miss you. Godspeed and rest in peace. That'll do it for another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name's Teddy Jenner. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Three games in the books this weekend. Enjoy them all if you are in Denver. Come say hi. Until next week, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and be excellent to each other.